Hello and welcome to our last episode of the academic year. We're here for our final episode this year for our Why It Works series of podcasts with Dr Robert Sharples and Joanna Thompson. We've got 30 episodes on site now with some of the world's leading EAL experts and I've had the pleasure of speaking to so many different people which has been fantastic. Today in our episode we're focusing on the strategy of pre-teaching and why that's so important for our EAL learners. Pre-teacher vocabulary is an essential component in allowing EAL learners to access the curriculum so we're going to have a bit of a deep dive into that today. Hi Rob, um, welcome back to the final episode. Um, can you start by telling us the context and research around pre-teaching strategies and why it's so important? Yeah, hi Helen, hi Joe. and 30 episodes, wow, that's gone by in no time and that's, that's a huge, huge achievement, a huge resource. So we're, we're thinking really today about pre-teaching vocabulary. It's not the only thing you can pre-teach, but I think it's what comes to mind for most people. So we'll focus on that. There's a really big body of research on, on how children acquire vocabulary in their first and in other languages. Some of the key principles that, that we need are that vocabulary has to be meaningful, that vocabulary happens in context, and that you need to encounter a word and use a word lots and lots of times. So all of those give us a good starting point for, for pre-teaching vo- vocabulary. I'll just take each of those in turn. So first of all, the fact that it's meaningful. Giving children a list of words to learn without a context of their use, that's not meaningful because they they can't use it to mean anything. And by meaning, really, we mean information exchange. The reason we have language is to communicate with each other, to exchange information, which could be, you know, emotional states as well as facts and figures. But but it's that exchange of information about ourselves and about the world. So where they're trying to do something with the vocabulary, that's going to be much, much more effective. And it could be as simple as labeling a diagram. It could be uh, taking a set of words and and trying to explain something. But that activity around that vocabulary is is really important. I said meaningful was the first one. Context, I think I said, um, was the second. So people might be familiar with phrases like uh, multi-word units for vocabulary or um, uh, collocations or, or chunks of language. But essentially what it comes down to is words have friends. They have friends they like to hang around with. And the research tells us more and more, actually, as time goes by, that we don't think in terms of single words. We think in terms of chunks of language, like, hi, how are you? As proficient language users, we don't put that little chunk together word by word in our minds. We can just bring it out. In this essay, I will discuss is another little chunk. So, so when words are in context, we see the words that go together and we can highlight them, we can talk about them, we can encourage kids to use them. So that context is really, really important, both because of how language is built up of chunks of words, um, but also because that meaning thing, when it's in context, you you understand what it's for, you know what you're trying to say with it. And that final one of, of meeting it again and again and again. So there's different positions on how many times children need to encounter a word, and it depends a lot on context. But let's say, roughly speaking, they need to to encounter a word six, seven, eight times. That means encountering and understanding its meaning. That means using it, using it in different contexts with different people. But you've got to keep coming back to vocabulary. Um, That's what what makes it 
quite robust. Now, if you think of a lot of the language learning apps that we see out there, you get decontextualized words and phrases that are presented to you, sort of flashed up in front of you, but you're not really using them. You're reciting them and so on, but you're not doing anything with them. So I've just been on a uh, on a, a little work trip and I've been I've been using we're allowed to mention brands here. It's not the BBC, right? So I've been using Duolingo. I've had I've had lots of fun. But I find myself sitting sitting on the plane, like writing stuff out, trying to memorize it. And it's so hard because there's no meaning attached to it. Without someone to talk to, it's not working. So it's that that meaningful use in real contexts, lots and lots of times. That's I think that's a there's a huge body of research about it, but that would be my starting point for what we need to do with pre-teaching vocabulary. Yeah, I'm just trying to think about um, like learning language, even at high school yourself, like French and German and things. Like, I guess it's like that, isn't it, where you're taking it separately? I mean, that the the heroic work of um, MFL teachers around the country in setting up, you know, French cafes in the classroom and German this is and so on. It's it's all about creating that real context. Um, I think the context for EAL is the curriculum context. So how is this language used in the curriculum? And that, and again, again and again, we come back to this idea that um, EAL is about helping kids to get access to curriculum so they can attain highly and get on with everything they want to do in lives. You know, the, the kind of the general English, the survival English, the everyday English is important in the early stages of that, but they'll mostly get that from their peers if, if you set them up with good buddies and so on. Um, that really is is the meaningful context for for vocabulary learning. Is what does this word do in the curriculum, and and that is quite mean like feeling that you're making progress, learning stuff that you couldn't actually just made no sense to you half an hour ago, and now you can start making sense of it. That's deeply meaningful. So it doesn't have to be creating a whole world for it. Just just the curriculum context is meaningful. Yeah, brilliant. Um, and Joe, what resources? Um, or sort of strategies have you come across that we've maybe got on site that could support this concept? I think there's a lot you can do. So I think what Rob said about the context of words um, is so important. And I think making that really explicit when you're teaching vocabulary. So like Rob said, which words do they hang around with? What part of speech do they have? What do they, um, was their meaning from? Have they got, you know, when you're talking about um, different types of words you know so you say um, tricycle so okay try so that means three you know all of that work that you I think you should do around teaching of vocabulary is really important because like Rob said on its own it's not it's not meaningful and then if you can pull in um, their home language or their home languages as well then they've got something to hook the new vocabulary onto which I think is yeah. so important so things that I've done that have been um, quite successful are, and we've got some of these on the site are um, glossaries so that they can write down they write down the new word in English and then they can write down the or the or the phrase or wh- whatever it is the part that you're teaching them then they can write down the equivalent in in their language if they're able to do that and then that gives them something to hook it off of which I think is really important for them um, yeah. so I've done that it's quite um successfully where they just have it kind of just kind of on the table and then every now and then they can kind of jot jot things down it some people do it as notebooks vocab books however that that works but I think if you can make the link between the new vocabulary that you're teaching them in English and 
the vocabulary that they already have because we'd always want children to use their prior knowledge and language yeah. their language counts as that um, prior knowledge I think something else I've done and again we've got um, a resource like this on the site and we can link to it um, in the um, the content that follows this is it's that breaking down of a word or a phrase so what's the target language that you want to teach them and then there's it's kind of a, a sheet or you can have it on a card where you look at okay so what are um what does this mean what does it mean in this context what does it mean in a different context we've got so many different words that mean same thing uh, different things sorry in um different situations but they sound the same they might yes. be spelt the same um, so i always give the example about um mean as in my friends being mean to me that's a playground you know expression that you come across quite a lot that means different to the mean average if you're talking in maths and then if you're talking about what do words mean then obviously that has a different meaning but you spell all those words the same way so looking at the different contexts that they can use the words the, the multiple meanings that they have um synonyms aphonyms all those kind of things you know what part of speech are they from when it is appropriate to use that word when it might not be appropriate to use that word there's lots of situations I've come across um teaching vocabulary there where that comes up um so they've heard something maybe on the tv or at home but it's not appropriate to use it in school playground yeah. um so lots of resources around that and it's more like Rob said I think it comes back to it's more than just a word or a phrase on its own it's all the links that go around it in English and also in their home languages yeah definitely um and I guess it's an opportunity to sort of involve parents um in pre-teaching have you got any opportunities or experience of doing that successfully so I've said um so in terms of pre-teaching so you want to do it obviously before you need the content for your lesson um so lots of different ways that you might do that but one of the ways that um yeah I've used quite successfully is sending things sending content home so I've sent um maybe a story or part of a story home um or I've sent some vocabulary home and I've asked them to um, translate it and, and look up the equivalent in their in their languages, talk about it with their parents and their families, because then again, it's a great way of involving the family then in what, what is being learned at school and then they feel involved. Um, but it's also really nice for them to come back into school having done that piece of work in English, but also in, in their language. And then they've got a really good grounding um, when you get to the lessons that you're teaching, especially if you're doing in primary, I'm thinking where you do a topic for a long time, um, yeah. you know, you could have a half term's worth of work around a around a topic. So there's going to be a lot of vocabulary that you really need the children to know and to understand. Mm. Um, so anything that you can send home and get the parents involved, um, there's lots of different ways um, of doing that. But I found that that's really successful, and then that creates a bit of a buzz around the learning and then that they bring that back into the classroom that really helps yeah it definitely reinforced that positive use of home language as well doesn't it at home and yeah. you know, that's something you, you, you're absolutely right this is something that we we've talked about kind of on and off and and sometimes in detail but when we talk about pre-teaching vocabulary it's part of the bigger picture isn't it about developing children's language skills and just just you know for all those in the back who didn't hear it the first hundred times developing children's first language will have a really beneficial impact on their second language in this case English so if parents 
exactly as you say, Joe, um, if parents are reading with their children in their strongest language, if children are writing stories in their strongest language, that's going to really underpin their ability to, to do things in English, even though we might not see it visibly. And that's because the, the kind of current thinking from a number of perspectives actually tells us that children have a capacity for language that that gets built up that then can be applied with with some constraints in whatever language they're working in one of those constraints is that we we tend to think that you have to reach a certain level for it to be valuable so actually encouraging children to do these things at home in their first language to move between the languages all of these things are really really beneficial and and getting that home language literacy up is where it gets really, really valuable. And I think we often worry it's a bit of a zero-sum game, you know, where, where you invest time in one language, you're taking it away from another. In the same way that EAL support is often seen the same way, you invest time in EAL, you're taking away from subject learning. They're much, yeah, they're much more integrated than that. So it's, um, it's a really good investment of time to, to send stuff home. I wonder if we could talk about that bigger picture, actually, because there's, there's a few things that you're trying to do when you um, when you pre-teach vocabulary. And, and I think a few of them spring to my mind now, but others to yours as well. So one thing that you're trying to do is on a really basic level, you are making sure they have the words to follow the content of the lesson itself. So it's almost, if you like, yeah, I don't know what image springs to mind, but but a, a stepladder or, or a gateway to the classroom. Yeah. And so if you're going to teach photosynthesis and they don't know the word photosynthesis, it's going to be a very long lesson. So teach them that and then they can get in. And that's good. We need to do that. But there's also there's also the concepts and there's also the broader language development. And I think all of these can be done with a bit of practice, sure. But once you once you got it going, without any great effort by every single teacher in the country this isn't there's expertise here but teachers I wonder would you say that teachers are generalists or specialists I I would think they're probably people who are expected to be specialists in a whole load of different things at the same time it's probably a better (laughs) yeah so you know you already you you're already doing a hundred different things very very well this the hundred and one isn't actually going to going to break the camel's back here so um so one thing you do pre-teaching is to link it to what you're doing in the classroom and that means that your your materials make the language explicit all the weight shouldn't be on the pre-teaching with then um kind of your your main lessons being completely unchanged and it, it could be where you have keywords just highlighting that phrase it could literally be as simple as as putting that phrase in bold on 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 the screen on any materials that you produce um it could be as simple as when when a a small group reports to class what they've done that you say oh did you hear that that was a really nice way of putting it you know just making the language explicit in the classroom and little by little that builds up so that's connecting what's happening in the pre-teaching with what's happening in the main classroom and that's making those key words explicit it's also doing 
yeah, you know me. I always think everything breaks down into threes. So you've got your your key key words. The middle ones, the concepts will come to, and the third one is general language development, which really I think touches on what Joe's talking about about mean and mean and being able to move through things and breaking down words and building them back up again. So as a linguist, I'd call that morphosyntax, morphology, um, building up words and syntax, string them into sentences. That really is a question of of morphosyntax. So um, try is a root word meaning three. Loads of those in science and math, but actually in other subjects as well. Um, knowing that is is going to make things a lot easier. But actually, the way that I think a lot of our classroom language is structured, the patterns, is accessible. Did you notice this phrase? We used that last week. Um, we teach children turn-taking language. We teach children how to work effectively in groups at a very young age. Um, I've just come from another meeting where where a colleague of mine said, if I could just build on that point. And I'm like, That's, I've, I've heard that being explicitly taught in classroom. We still use it today. If I could just build on that point. And, and essentially what it means is, all right, I want to turn talking now. We all do it. So we teach this kind of classroom language. We can do the same with the curriculum language. Bridging what happens in the, in the, the pre-teaching through the classroom and that is going to benefit everybody not just bilingual children and we know that because my colleague with a PhD is using it successfully you know in her adult life so that's going to that's going to build up the the language that the children have and it's going to to do the subject specific stuff but it's also going to unlock the middle one which is the concepts and we know from a very robust body of evidence that in fact for me it's it's you know I, I do quite a few workshops, as, as I know you both do as well for people. One of the core principles I keep coming back to is this idea that language and content develop together, that the higher order thinking skills, the higher complexity curriculum work really is held back if you if you don't have that higher level of language proficiency and vice versa. And that's true of everyone, not just bilingual children. It's just more prominent in EAL. So explicitly doing that first and third thing is really going to unlock their conceptual understanding. They won't teach the concept so directly, but it, it removes the barriers and creates the space in which they can do that really advanced work. So if you think about the kind of the bigger picture that, that Joe sketched, and if I maybe come in with what's some of the evidence behind it, you've got this language-rich classroom. You're, you're really picking out keywords, but not as individual ones concept important words words that really you know are fundamental to getting on with the class you're, you're pre-teaching those you're sending it home so you're connecting what's happening at home as well you know I've seen language detective worksheets going home with mum and dad to do as well because that makes it a bit of a game but again it's developing that metalinguistic awareness that understanding about the language itself so what you see is f moving from um what's the vocab we should give them before the class, you actually see that, that the, the most powerful response to it is just it's rich language across the school and, and it connects everything together. I think here endeth my, my rant about it, but it's just, it's so important. Yeah, mic drop, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like rather being a bolt-on, sort of language should be part of your core planning. Yeah, rather, yeah. Um, adding it on at the end. Um, and then if we could just talk about this, might start another run, Rob, about withdrawal um, of EAL learners and how rather than doing that, maybe we should be using our teaching assistants in the classroom for pre-teaching and how they can be used. Joe, have you got any experience 
well, you will have, but if you um, talk about your experience of using <laughs> teaching assistant in the classroom. Yes. So if you are lucky enough to still have a teaching assistant in your classroom, then yeah, definitely make use of, of them and involve them in some um, pre-teaching. When the children have, have done that, in my experience, they feel so much more confident about the lessons coming up that their engagement and their participation is is much much better um, yes. so I think it's so important um, that you do that so yes if you've got a TA and you can do some bits within the classroom then that's obviously that's great if you haven't got a TA then how are you going to how are you going to do that what does that look like in your school is it something that you can kind of do kind of from a primary point of view I'd do it kind of as early early morning work is it something that you can get everyone in your class involved in doesn't just have to be for bilingual multilingual children this can benefit you know pre-teaching vocabulary is going to benefit um going to benefit everybody so can you can you find some times in the in the day where you can where you can do that if you're going to go out then you need to be thinking really carefully what are they you know what are they missing why are they going out what is going to be you know the planned outcome for that you've got to be really tight on clear and tight and clear on what kind of your reasoning is behind that and the outcome that you expect and it's got to have a time it's got to be time limited if you're going to work like that and I know that some some schools do um, work like that I'd also be really conscious of the things that then they are then missing if you are going to work in that way so don't always have that session that they miss art for example you know that art lesson might be the one lesson in the whole week where they truly feel that they can express themselves without understanding maybe as much of the language and then if they're coming out to do some other work you know what does that mean for them they're entitled to receive the whole curriculum just as everybody else is so I think you've got to take all of those things into account and it's a really it's a really difficult um balance to get I think and it depends um the setup of your classroom and if you're fortunate enough to have a TA um, or not and if you don't then I think you need to be a little bit more creative in how you in how you do that yeah what do you think Rob the same the same I'm, I'm conscious because actually the, the role of withdrawal and, and TAs is something that we all feel quite passionate about um, it's it's such a fantastic resource to have but it's also one that can that can have a really negative effect um if used you know in the wrong way so i, I absolutely agree with everything you say you know not not with drawing kids for the same lessons every week that goes back to the, their entitlement to a broad and balanced curriculum i have seen ofsted come down really hard on this um where children are having separate provision within the school um, you know, the, the Calderdale inquiry found that to be unlawful many years ago now. And it, it, I, I don't know how consistently that's being picked up on, but you do see it getting picked up on and that can suddenly become quite serious. So if we if we need that, if we need Ofsted in our lives, that I know they are picking up on it sometimes. But I think that, you know, wanting to do the right thing is, is more than enough motivation for us. If... <laughs> If working with a TA shrinks that child's kind of language world down to a one-to-one within the classroom, they're not getting full access to the teacher. They're not getting full access to their peers. They're not getting full access to the activities. So the language isn't in context. It's not as meaningful 
um, and so on. So it's easy for me to say because I don't have to do it day in, day out. So I'm I'm aware of that. But if the if we start from this idea that every child in that class is the responsibility of their teacher, how can the TA help the, the teacher to meet those goals? And I think it is it is through pre-teaching probably more than anything else. But we've just got to be careful that, that doesn't become too distant from, from what you're doing in the classroom. I think sometimes it can be a bit of a crutch that becomes a bit of a problem. Um, we we all know that that schools are under resourced that people are unbelievably busy and it seems like a straightforward thing to do but TAs don't have the same level of training now if you're able to develop really expert TAs one of the projects that I'm um been involved in recently is is about developing capacity across a group of schools and some of our absolute star participants um are employed as teaching assistants and so that you know we know there's absolutely no reason why TAs can't be leading a whole school approach to to EAL um, but they need that training they need that expertise and otherwise you've got to keep a really tight rein on it because the the temptation kind of the system pushes you in a certain way when things are so busy and so pressured it sort of there's this conveyor belt saying great you can do that without making sure that you are building that child's language, not just with the TA, but all the way through the class, engaging with parents and so on. It's really easy to say from where I sit, but but it is, it is I think, really, really fundamental that language development happens all across these areas and not just with the TA. That, that caveat aside, my kind of Cassandra voice of doom done, um, I, I just agree with everything Joe said. I think they're really, really effective strategies. Yeah, and what um, can teachers or educators that are listening today um, mm-hmm. maybe think about over the summer holidays? What could they, well, obviously, you don't want to be working all your summer holidays, but or maybe from now till the end of July, yeah. what could they be doing to get ready for September maybe in terms of pre-teaching? So I think your main priority should be uh, those little umbrellas they put in cocktails and gl- tall glasses full of ice and I hope <laughs> absolutely nothing to do with school <laughs> for the next, next month or two. If, if say, you're doing some work that's not related to tiny cocktail umbrellas, um, professional development of TAs would be a high priority. Um, and I would think in terms of, um, can we create a role um, where your TA is teaching you and setting up for you um, the approach to to language development. Now, not everyone will, will be ready or, or, or interested in doing that, but I think it's a really interesting way of flipping it around. You retain that responsibility for the children in your class. That that's your 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 responsibility and, and so on. But to say, I'm going to consciously build up one of our team to have a high level of expertise. That's great development for your TAs. It also means that you've got a real partner in that person because they they have actual expertise in something that that they can collaborate with you it also means that they're going to do much much better work because if we all go by what we know and i think for most of us and i think if we took 100 people just out of the general public and said how would you pre-teach it our image would be sitting down with someone going through some work before you go back into the class and i think 
you, we, we need to make sure we're pushing beyond that, always pushing in this area because, uh, you know, pressures drive us in, in a, a less than helpful direction. Um, free webinars, if you, if you can free up people's time to do it, um, the Bell Foundation do a load of uh, good free webinars. They do some paid courses. They've got courses specifically for teaching assistants um, as well. Um, I know Joe, you you do a lot of stuff in your in your trust. Um, I don't know if there's there's other people you'd recommend. There's um, there's a lot on the Twinkle website, and we've well, Helen, are we allowed to mention what's coming next year? Yes, we can mention it now. Um, yeah, so we've started our EAL CPD sort of teach meets. We had one last week, really well attended, and some brilliant feedback. Um, and then from September, it will be monthly, which will be fantastic. Um, already signed Rob and Joe up, obviously, <laughs> and a lot of other EAL experts. Um, so from September, um, we'll also have some network meetings every other month, which will be really exciting and sort of continue to build the community. I think is the next step, which will be really good. And they are all free, which is another bonus. So that that would be a good place to start. And I think, you know, if I were to try and set something up for September that didn't take loads and loads of time at a really busy time of the year, I would just say, is there any money left in the budget? Have we got 50 quid, for example? Where we And, and that is the cost for some of the shortest ones where we can get someone on a webinar. Can we say, I'm going to do without my, my TA for a, a short amount of time each week so that they can build up that expertise and, and really focus on developing kind of the human capital, the, the capacity in the people so that over time you don't have to keep leading on this that it just becomes how we work that that would probably be the lowest stress thing a few email a conversation with whoever holds the budget a light bit of googling and i think you'd, you'd have some really good stuff set up so that, that would build through the year really productively yeah and probably the biggest impact as well which is the best thing isn't it have you got any other things to add joe i think i would look at um your planning and what's coming mm. up for you across the year and i know some schools are really good at doing this already they you know identify because i think you kind of it might be sometimes for um teachers a bit of an afterthought because it's just such part of what we do that you don't really maybe give it any more thought um but perhaps you should so identify the what is the key vocabulary for your topics for your subjects for the units that you're teaching if you look at any one um, lesson plan, look at all the, um, or across the unit, look at all the vocabulary that you are expecting them to know, to understand. What are you going to pull out that you're specifically teaching and different strategies that we've talked about today to do that, um, to make that vocabulary more explicit. And it doesn't have to be anything you know, rocket science-y, gap fills are really good. If you give them a word bank and you give them a gap yeah. fill activity, matching, labeling, you know, they're not um, they're not difficult things to incorporate into your lesson. But I think if you've got a really good understanding of the vocabulary that you want them to learn and you want to teach them in the first place, then that's a really good um, place to start. I know that some schools across um, science, for example, they've mapped out the key vocabulary for each year that they expect their children to um, know and understand by the end of that year. And then if your school have done that, then you've got a really good um, starting place because you know exactly the sorts of um, vocabulary that they need to be learning. And then you then you can start to think about how am I going to explicitly teach that? And it again, it, it doesn't have to be 
rocket you know it's not rocket science it shouldn't take you ages it just probably needs a you know 10 minutes of extra thought um, and then hopefully you can then incorporate lots of language rich activities that are going to explicitly teach that that vocabulary maybe at a bit of a higher level than you did before just because you've maybe given it a little bit of extra thought that's it yeah and getting organized and sort of feeling like you've got it sorted before the start of you know the topic yeah if you know what's if you know what's coming and you know the language that you want to focus on and you've got a few strategies that you can put into your lessons and how you're going to use you know how you're going to use your ta what does that look like what are you going to send home how can you include families what does that look like if you've got a good kind of thought um got some good ideas around that that should should help you i think yeah brilliant thank you so much both of you um and well done everyone to get into the end of the year have a lovely summer break um and then we'll be back in september with more exciting cpd more podcasts and generally helping everyone out hopefully have a great summer have a great summer